Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. My guest today is Julie Leach, Executive Director of West Coast Black Theatre Troupe. With a background in finance and management, Julie has worked with the WBTT since 2009. Based in Sarasota, Florida, the West Coast Black Theatre Troupe is a nonprofit theatre founded in 1999 by Nate Jacobs. The company's mission is to produce professional theatre that promotes and celebrates the African American experience, that attracts diverse audiences, supports and develops African American artists, and builds the self esteem of African American youth. Welcome, Julie. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. How did you come to be involved with the West Coast Black Theatre Troupe? Well, it all ties in with um, Nate Jacobs' journey to creating this theater. So he uh, was a drama teacher here in Sarasota at a small private school, African-American-based uh, and run private school. And he actually was a visual artist in college, although he did has done gospel singing his whole life and you know, music's always been a part of his life. His father actually had a, a gospel touring group. So, but he saw that as sort of a sidelight when he went to college and did his visual art major. But um, after he started working at the school, he said, well, the students were way too rambunctious to do drawing all the time because it was a like a full kindergarten through 12 school. And he said, I, have, I started telling them stories like I used to do my 11 brothers and sisters. <laughs> He's from a family of 11. And um, so he said, and then we started acting them out. And then we started putting on plays at the school. And people just loved all the productions. And in the meantime, he started to be an actor here in town locally. So he became an equity actor here on local stages in addition to his teaching. And then he just felt like there was a dearth of roles for African-Americans on stage. He was found himself kind of playing the same type of role all the time. Like I'm a waiter in this show and I'm a servant in that show. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it was just the era. It was the eighties. And, and uh... so anyhow, um, in 1999, he founded this theater troupe. He decided if he needed to see change, he would have to make it. So he founded West Coast Black Theater Troupe. And really ran it out of the back of one ramshackle van that somebody gave them and drove these high school kids around town. And they performed, you know, because those were the people he'd been working with. He did put on a couple, before he formed the troupe, he put on a couple professional plays in town at borrowed stages with just community people that he could find that maybe had some acting background and stuff. But when he founded the troupe, he really founded it with the five other teenage, five teenagers and himself. He was probably in his thirties at that point. And, and um, they would just perform, you know, in front of the opera house on the sidewalk for a festival, or they'd borrow a stage somewhere and do a little show for two weeks or something. So they were just a shoestring existence for about 10 years. And he got pretty worn down by it. And he was like, this is just not going to work. I think I'm going to go to New York and work on my personal career a little bit. And of course, it's family. When one is tired, yeah, come to New York where you will be not tired. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> he felt like maybe he should just do some acting and singing instead, you know, trying to run a company because he's an artistic person, not 
primarily business person. And as an enterprise grows, you need more business people involved. So when he was feeling that way, one of his board members said, you know, he just joined the board and he'd been a producing artistic director at our local uh, large theater here, our Lort Theater. And that was Howard Millman. And he said, Nate, you just don't have anybody to help you with the business side of the business is wearing you down. Let's try and find someone. And Nate's like, but we don't have enough money to hire anybody, you know, because they never had enough. So they went to a local foundation and they got a grant to hire someone for six months. And that was my predecessor, Christine Jennings. And the first thing she did was say, well, we need more people on the board that can help us financially and all this and, and have expertise in nonprofit leadership. And so she started building a board and that's when I got involved. So that was 2009. So I became a board member. Then the next year, Howard said to me, you know, I said I'd be president for two years, so I need you to be president. <laughs> president of the board. So I did that for four years. And then Christine Jennings retired. She was 70 at the time. And, you know, she'd already done a successful business of founding a bank and selling a bank and running for Congress twice and all kinds of things. So, you know, she was kind of ready to step off the rat race a little bit. And I became the interim basically. And uh, then the board was kind of like, do we really have to look for someone else after about six months? (laughs) And I was falling in love with doing the work. So I was like, no, I can do it. That's fine. Um, I'll, I'll do that. And uh, then here I am five years later, we wanted, we were at a point where we wanted to raise money for our buildings for a capital campaign. And I thought if we had a lot of transition and leadership, that would just get more difficult. So I was just like, I'll stay and we'll do that. So, so we've been able to do that. You mentioned the building project. That was the Donnelly Family Theater. Is that right? Um, it's it's actually the Jerry Aaron and the Aaron Family Foundation uh, Theater building. And then uh, the Donnelly Theater is our main stage theater, though, inside it. So let's see. We started that oh, in 16. And uh, we ended up raising $8.7 million, which is incredible wow. considering how fast this theater company has grown. But the community has been very generous. This is such an arts-loving community, Sarasota. We have so many artistic jewels here. We have our own opera company, ballet, I don't know, 10 theaters or something, you know, professional theaters. It's just wow. a lot in the general area. And yeah. people come here for the arts largely. I mean, the beach is wonderful too. And, and all the everybody's kids and grandkids come for that. But those... <laughs> that are in their retirement age. We come for the arts and culture. But we're also attracting younger audiences too as we go. So we have, we've just been blessed that that's a community that really cares about that. And we've been able to, and the state supported us with a $500,000 grant too. So it's been a broad-based, I'd say we had over 600 donors to the campaign, everything from $25 to a million dollar gift. So Wow, very much community-driven. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. Did I read correctly that the theater had just been finished at the beginning of this year? Yeah, so COVID has really (laughs) popped the bubble a little bit, but we're still here. So we opened January with our first show, uh, Carolina Change, in the brand new theater. And it was a beautiful show, and we were able to really showcase the capabilities of the new theater. We added a lot of technical features and uh, new lighting, LED lighting and all. And, and it was really a beautiful show. And then we, op- that was a successful run. And we usually almost sell out all our shows. Like we have a capacity, we have like 98%, 95% sales for every show we wow. do, which is wonderful. But 
we did increase our seating to up to 200 from 146. So we're kind of small still, but um, intimate and people like that intimacy. But then the second show we opened was your arms too short to box with God. And I think you watched the video of that. I did. Oh, wow. It was so joyous. I I want to talk about more of that in a bit, but I'd love to hear more about what happened when, when So, um, so we opened that and we were able to run that for three weeks. And then that's when the closure came about March 16th, 15th, something like that. And, um, so we closed down the theater and I did pay out all those contracts for our, our artists, you know, cause they had three more weeks of work they were expecting. And then, um, we were also rehearsing a second show at that time. So whenever we have one on stage, we're rehearsing another. And that one was, um, Nate, Nate Jacobs, uh, world premiere show called Ruby, which was, is a, like a documentary, almost like a, well, it's a play, but it's about a true story about a woman in uh, White Oak, Florida in the fifties who shoots a white man. And what's that story about? And the man she shot was like a Senator. She was a very prominent person in her community too, a very wealthy African-American woman. And, and uh, so it's an interesting story. So that we'll have to do next year. <laughs> yeah. But um, we were working on that too. So we had to um, stop that. And I also was able to pay those folks some severance. But um, then we pretty much were closed, although we moved to online work right away. So we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So what was the decision to create WBTT Live? Well, we just felt like okay, we have to stay connected with people. Like that's what we do. And that's what our artists do. And my mission, as you read it at the beginning, our mission is not just entertainment. We're about developing artists and improving the lives of African-American artists and self-esteem. And you can't do that if you're doing nothing. So if, if my mission was strictly entertaining, I would shut down and fire everybody and wait this out. But that's not our mission. So we said, how can we connect? And we thought, well, how about we let people get to know our artists a little more? That's one of the things they love the most is because we have kind of a core group we'll work with over a certain period of time. It's not like a repertory theater, but they get to know our audiences, get to know our casts. And it's normally our tradition, which is also not great in COVID times of coming out after the show and greeting all the audiences they leave. And so they really get to know different ones. And they'll be like, Oh, I saw you in this other show. And you know, you've grown so much or I've loved you every time I see you or whatever. So anyhow, we decided to do that and let uh, Mr. Jacobs, our artistic director interview different of our young artists and see what they're doing in this time of COVID. So a lot of them have interesting artistic projects they're doing. Those interviews are so wonderful. They're freely available on your website and the WBTT website. And Nate Jacobs, he's such, he seems like such a warm, charismatic, wonderful person. He is. You know, when people meet Nate, they're just taken by uh, his perseverance. You know, he's followed this vision and, and mission for so many years. When And when COVID hit, you know, he's very philosophical about it. I, like, I'm frustrated. You know, <laughs> this person, I'm like, why does this have to happen now? He's like, this is just another bump in the road. We've had so many bumps in the road. And we can do this or that. And so we've been pivoting and our artistic teams are very creative. We did manage to run our student summer camp program. Would you like me to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So we have a five week uh, stage of discovery program every summer that we 
put on for about 20 to 30 students. They have to audition for it, but the program is free and it runs full days, nine to three. And there's an after uh, hours arts piece if they want to do that too, till five. And it's for ages 13 to 18. And we've been doing it for, this was our fifth year now. I started that when I came on as the executive director. So it's a program both Nate and I love. We feel like the theater was started by youth. And so we want to keep that pipeline going. And a lot of the students that graduate from that, they um, they join our main stage productions. Many go on to college for musical theater or other arts degrees, dance and and uh, we've started a little scholarship program for them, too. So this year I was able to give out six $2,000 scholarships uh, for those going on in performing arts. So it's That's really such wonderful. such an achievement. Congratulations. When so many other theaters are shutting their doors and saying, you know, we can't pay anybody, we can't do anything until... You know, we have a small budget, so that helps a lot. Plus, um, in town, we have something called the Giving Challenge, uh, which is a kind of nationwide program, I think, that a lot of cities do, where the, they have like an online giving day for all the nonprofits in the city. So they ha- happened to schedule that in May this year anyhow. So that was so helpful after the closure with COVID, and, and we've received about $165,000 for that. So that helped us keep people employed. And, you know, but I, other theaters in town have like a million dollar employment budget. You know, I don't have that large, but we just have 18 full-time people, about half in production and half in administration. So, so I was able to do that. Our kids program did go to zoom this year for the actual classes, but at the end um, we, had them come back on campus and we did outdoor social distancing and we made a music video. So they made professional soundtracks in the studio ahead of time in small groups. And then we synced all that with the, with the video footage we took outdoors on our campus. So that's also on our website. If they look at under about us, I think it's under stage of discovery and the video is still there. It's a beautiful five song video and the kids just love making it. It was really cool. We had drone cameras and, you know, it's very fun. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about your camera setup because um, is it Bill Waggy? Waggy? So Bill Waggy is an independent Wagy. videographer that has um, worked with us for years and donated so much of his time. He's an incredible, kind, wonderful person, <laughs> but also very professional. And um, so he does a lot of our, he's always done our archival videos. And then that's what we did with your arms too short to box with God. We had the archival we'd already filmed. So we were like, well, we can share this with people, even though we had to cut the show short. So anybody that purchased a ticket and donated it back for the last three weeks of the show, I let them watch the video for free. We just sent it out to them. And of course I got equity and licensing permission to do that. And then we also um, charged if other people wanted to watch it so that that was quite popular. That was our most popular video offering, actually. So I don't know if it's just because it was great or people were expecting to see it. So that's why they still wanted to tune in. I yeah. feel like it was one of the earliest videos available, too. It feels like you're comp- that WBTT was able to pivot very quickly and, and put content up straight away. Yeah, we're used to pivoting because of our rough and tumble life. I think we haven't grown out of that yet. <laughs> so <laughs> I say that, Nate, you know, you can tell who the 
core troop members are that have grown up with the troop because what we're doing right now, pivoting, we're going to put an outdoor performance on our porch. That's <laughs> and have seats in the parking lot. And, you know, the folks that have been with us for years, they're like, okay, that's what we're doing now. You know, they just like, they pivot, they run with it, they roll with it, whatever needs to happen. And um, they're just used to that. <laughs> it's so wonderful that you can be so flexible and that you have the space and the people that are willing to make it happen. Yeah. And, it, you know, I feel bad that we're not in our brand new theater, but yet we are doing it on our brand new campus and we're using our brand new restrooms, which are wonderful, much better than we had before. <laughs> and so, you know, we're still using the facility that we've created and eventually we'll get back inside. You know, yeah. technically in Florida, you can do a show in an auditorium at 50% capacity now, but we just didn't feel like that would be safe. So mm-hmm. we're looking to do some concerts in our, in our courtyard instead. That's wonderful. Did you ever stream any of your productions before the pandemic? Um, I'm trying to think. No, we didn't because normally you're not allowed to, you know, most of the licensing uh, agreements just allow you to keep an archival copy and we're an equity theater and equity actors don't usually let you stream their performance. So because of COVID, both the licensors and the Actors Equity Association have gotten more flexible about that course, Nate Jacobs writes several of our productions. So I do have shows that would be fine to, if I could get the equity artists to agree, which usually they do now because it's, you know, they understand what the times are. So we had one show rocking down fairy tale lane that we put out this summer. It's a cute uh, family show. And that was written by Nate. And he I think of it as like the wind leads into the woods. Yeah. It's a bit like into the woods. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Then that had some equity artists in it, but they gave permission and I actually paid them for the time period that I ran the show. So it's really incredible that you, it's so great having original work that you're able to access and put online, but also yeah. that you're able to pay the artists because I know that is something that's just so tricky. It becomes prohibitive for people. Well, it does. And we didn't make hardly any money on that stream because it, you know, most of our audience is not the family audience. So, um, that's something we need to grow. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. You mentioned that Your Arms Too Short to God was your most popular video that you've put out. Can you speak yeah. to the numbers of how many people watched it? Uh, we had about 780 views, household views. So to me, that's probably about 1,500 people because most, most people are couples. Um, and uh, about, I'd say, two-thirds of those were paid and the others were that had received the comp because they had bought the tickets and donated them back. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was the most successful. Um, the, the um, live, the WBTT live, I think our most successful was maybe Christopher Eisenberg. He's a young student that grew up with us since age eight. He was on our stage and now he's a record artist with RCA. He's in a, developing boy band called Next Town Down. And uh, they came to our 20th anniversary celebration and performed there too for us. He and all the guys in the in the band with him. And he's been working on that project for about three years. I think it was a development project through Sony. And then mm-hmm. RCA uh, has contracted with them for their recording works. And so you can find them on Facebook and all. So he has a big following. 
So I think a lot of people tuned into the interview for that. So that I think that had also about 800 views or something. When you think that your theater is, you said it's grown to 200 seats. That, that yeah, you know, it, it's pretty like seven small times. And, uh, but we we our audience is about 36,000 seats a year. So you know, some some of those are subscribers. So you've got the same people, but um, it's an area I think that we're growing in. And of course, it's gotten a lot more crowded now. Now there's a lot, like you were saying, we were early out of the box with the arms too short video, but now there's a lot of video offerings. And I think people maybe are getting a little tired of that. I don't know. I'm hoping they'll be happy to come sit in the courtyard with their masks on safely distanced and watch an actual concert. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think also there's, it's very difficult to find a a single place, which is my hope with the Film Live Musicals site, to find all this content. There's like, there's all this content out there, but finding it is very difficult. Yeah. uh, So I, you know, that's my hope with the database is that it will make it easier to find it. Yeah, that that will definitely help us. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Your arms too short to God is so joyous and so wonderful. I want everybody to be able to see it. Is it something that you could re-release or because of equity agreements, you can only have that? Um, you know, we could, window. and maybe I'll look to doing that around Easter because kind of an Easter story. So I would have to ask the licensors again, if they'd be happy to let us release it, but they, they might be happy to do that. And um, as long as I pay some of the artists, equity artists that were in it, then then probably it will be fine with Actors' Equity too. It's an interesting show because it was created by Vinette Carroll, who was the first African-American woman to pr- produce and direct on Broadway. And uh, she also worked with the Mickey Grant and Alex Bradford, who are well known in the um, gospel and Broadway circles as as gospel writers. Um, both worked, both of those, or at least Alex worked on uh, Langston Hughes Black Nativity, the first uh, gospel show on Broadway. So, anyhow, the, her piece had kind of gone underground to some extent. I mean, people were still producing it, but in a lot of college shows, and and then there's there's a theater. Um, in New Jersey that produces that, that has the rights and does produce it quite a bit. Irving street rap. Do you know Irving uh-huh. street rap? I, I don't, I was curious yeah. where their name came into it. I was trying to find, cause what I had read in an interview that a lot, it wasn't published, but it sounds like it is published. The script. Well, for it's, it's not really, you can't really find the original script published. Um, or a lot of material you can get it from Irving Street Rep. So they they're the licensor. So, mm-hmm. but you know, most most of our licenses we just go to MTI or or uh, there's a couple other music yeah. licensors and and we look up the play and we license it. You know, but this mm-hmm. wasn't as easy. We had to find out who had the license and it just wasn't public knowledge a lot about how to get to it. But once yeah. we got it, that was great. And um, so it's nice because we know them. So if I want to do something. Else with it, like in Easter time, I probably can just call them up and see if they're willing to do that. Oh, yes, please. I I had read a review that said it succeeds where Jesus Christ Superstar doesn't. Oh. And I, <laughs> as someone that is not a huge Jesus Christ Superstar fan, I loved Your Arms Too Short to Box with God because it's so community driven and there's the women are central to the story. And Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different way of telling the story. It's interesting because those came out around the same time. And actually, Jesus Christ Superstar didn't do too well with its Broadway introduction. I think it started right in, in London. And when it came over, it didn't do too well. But 
than the mm-hmm. revivals have done much better. Yeah. But they were both kind of radical concepts at the time. You know, you forget that now in our more modern age <laughs> that we're used to talking about things like that. But at the time, treating Jesus as a human and, you know, it was kind of out there. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that uh, the people historically were Black. That- yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's course, still you know, and surprising to people. Most people have darker skin. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, you just get, I think people have to get used to that idea that uh, the Renaissance image of Jesus probably isn't what he looked like. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned the challenges of um, equity agreements and paying for the licenses to stream. What other challenges have there been to streaming I think it's mostly technological. You know, we're a live theater company and um, there's a lot of equipment. I mean, we're not a movie company. (laughs) You know, you look at Mulan or something and how much money they paid to make that beautiful film. And, and, um, you know, we just don't have that kind of equipment and, and all. So it's, it's making something that's good enough that people find enjoyable to watch and don't, and aren't feeling like it's one of those older fashioned, you know, like PBS films of the Met Opera that used to happen, you know, which was way back, the camera's way back, and you're just looking at the box of the stage, you know, down there, and the people are tiny and stuff, you know, now, like the Met HD opera broadcast, you know, that's so wonderful, because you're right there on the stage with the actors and all. So it's finding something that feels like that without investing too much money and, and deciding resource wise, you know, something our board will have to discuss how much resources do we put into the live? Are we just waiting for, you know, how much do we put into video? Are we just waiting for live to come back so we can relax and go back to what we're comfortable with? Or do we want to continue to do some of this work? So the WBTT live, it's not technically gorgeous. The interviews, you know, that, they're good interviews and and the video is good enough, I think, but um, it could be better if you had a better camera system and all. We originally created it though with iPads, it's on iPads and it was meant to be live, but then we realized that it was much better if it was recorded and then put up as live. So, so that's what we do. But now I'm thinking maybe if we're going to record it and put it up there, we should just use better cameras because we don't really need to do the iPad switcher set up for we're not actually live. Yeah. So. Do you think going forward, you would stream shows after they've run or during the run? I think I'd like to do it during. So I do this year have some permissions um, for we're going to do pipeline later in the season, which is a straight play. Mm-hmm. And I have permission to film it. So a lot of the licensors are giving those permissions ahead of time now. So I'm going to do that coincident with it. And we'll be able to put captions on the, um, the stream and everything. So hopefully we'll be able to reach a larger audience. Maybe that isn't, maybe live theater isn't accessible for them even. So, you know, that would be cool. And um, those that aren't quite comfortable yet coming back to the theater and that's not one we can do on the porch. So we may only stream it if, if we can't have, or maybe only have a quarter of the theater full or something like that. So Mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes. And then also um, Smokey Joe's cafe we're doing at the end of the year, which is a musical, great musical review, Lever and Stoller review. Yeah. And that we have permission to film that too. So the plan with those two is definitely to coincidentally offer the video version and the live version. So people can find their comfort level. Oh, yay. That makes me very happy. I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just interviewed uh, Brenda Braxton, who was in the original Broadway cast of Smokey Joe's a couple of weeks oh, ago. Wonderful. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, wow. and that's the, the original Broadway production was filmed in its last week on Broadway. And oh, wow. That's, that's cool. um, available online. Yeah, really. Oh, okay. We'll have to check it out. Fun production. Yeah. So I'm excited that there's going to be a new one. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's a very popular show. People do that in regional theaters, do that show a lot. The music is fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do you think have been the benefits for WBTT of streaming? Well, it's kept our artists engaged in artistic projects, which they love and need. Um, It's kept us connected to a lot of our audience. Um, It gave a great summer program to our students and something a little different to offer them this year. We also filmed, they worked towards an individual professional audition reel in their classes too. So they picked their own song they wanted to do in their own monologue. So they had to read different plays and things to find a monologue that they wanted. And, and uh, so we filmed that for each of them. They came in and individually did that. We filmed it for them so they could take that with them as a project they created and, and uh, this music video is so great. So, you know, I think we've had a lot of fun with it and it's been interesting. It's, it's challenging. Like we've spent a whole week trying to upload this next thing we're doing, which now finally we were able to upload, but um, that's another gospel piece. So this is coming out um, probably next week. I think we're planning to have it come out on Monday, the 21st of September. And it's called uh, American Roots, the Gospel Experience. And it's a collaboration between a local professional choir here, the Key Corral, and their artistic directors, Joseph Calkins, and then our uh, artistic group and singers and dancers performed with them. So it's a very beautiful show. And we did that last fall. We went to several churches doing that. And again, Bill Waggy filmed that for us and has um, done the, the video for us. So so um, it, I'm really excited about that coming out. It's it's beautifully filmed at one of the churches we did. And uh, yeah, it's really exciting. Oh, I can't wait for that. I The gospel music is so uplifting and such a bomb in during all of this time. Yeah, it, it really is. And of course, that's not the only thing we do, but we're well known for it. Um, a lot of our singers learn singing in their churches growing up. And, um, you know, Mr. Jacobs, like I said, has a deep gospel uh, history. And on WBTT Live, we have an interview coming up next week with um, Joe and Nate, the two artistic directors, about the collaboration and how much fun they had uh, making it and all. So, What has your the feedback been from audiences? Uh, most people love it. Uh, we did a fun, we had a fun Marvin Gaye um, thing. We had had a, a fundraiser scheduled um, for April, which we'd bump back to May thinking COVID would be over by then. <laughs> which of course it wasn't. So then we were like, okay, we have to do something with this because we had sponsors already. And so we created a socially distanced Marvin Gaye concert where each of the singers was on like a turntable on the stage, six feet apart from the other ones. And they danced and sang, it looked kind of like American bandstand. <laughs> but, um, but people really loved that. And we, we raised a decent amount of money with that too. That, that was a, a good um, result also. I'm not sure if I answered your question. I think I forgot what your question was. Uh, if how audiences have responded. To oh that. yeah. So they love that. So a lot of people, um, 
emailed us and we're like, we were dancing in our living room. And <laughs> so people love the student video. We're getting all kinds of comments from our folks about the student video and how wonderful that was. And uh, it's inspired some people to give some donations, which has been wonderful. So. Oh, that's fantastic. That keeping that element of community engagement and keeping your subscribers engaged. It's, it's all very yeah. positive. And some of them are reaching out to um, friends across the country. So um, that's nice too. I, I heard yesterday, one of our board members, she says, I'm so bored with television. I'm just sending all these WBTT things to everybody I know in the country instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Do you think that filming shows and streaming them online, do you think that's going to change the way we stage future productions? Well, people may continue to do both because they're, you know, it's hard to know when we'll be past this particular pandemic, as you know, but um, it seems like it's going to affect everything this year for sure. And there may be some people that are nervous about it for the even longer run and nervous about other things because of it, you know, so, you know, flu and other things that are dangerous out there in the world too. So you may see more mask wearing like South Korea too, you know, maybe that people just wear more masks normally on the subway or, or things like that. But, um, but I do think there's, there's a role for the filmed stuff. And as long as um, licensors and producers and artists can work out a fair way to, to recompense everybody for those. I think they should be a, a part of the repertoire, but I don't think it replaces the feeling you get of live theater. And one thing I hate about filming is that, you know, it can be perfect. So <laughs> that's what costs so much. I've decided to make these movies because with live theater, you know, it's never perfect and every night's different. And that's part of the joy of live theater. Uh, you could have a wonderful show, even if, somebody changed one word in the script someplace, you know, it's just not, it's not perfection. Isn't the goal it's engagement and experience and connection is the goal. Whereas with film often perfection is the goal. And I think that leaves a different feeling for people in their lives. Yeah. I think for me, when I watch filmed live theater, I love it when things go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because you feel like you you get that sense of liveness. It it isn't yeah. perfect, like you say. And I love in your arms too short to box with God. There's a moment I forget the number it was. It's toward the end, and there's a woman singing solo. That's probably Teresa in the and blue she's dress. In the blue, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And she's singing her heart out, and it's incredible. And a woman like directly in front of the camera stands up. Oh, and yes, I know. Blocks, she, and it's like exactly like you could, any other seat. She's a friend <laughs> she's of hers. right yeah. in front of the camera. <laughs> and there's this moment where you like the camera's there and you're like, is this going to move? And then suddenly the camera person realizes and they the camera jumps up and moves to the side. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's so exciting as, as a person watching from home. It's oh, because you fun. feel that excitement. You feel like you're kind of with the woman standing up. You're not, you don't want her to sit down. You want to stand up with her. Right. Right. Well, you know, when we filmed that, we knew it was going to be the last um, show of it. So uh, a lot of the members, audience members, uh, and we closed it to the public at that point. So most of the audience members are in-house staff and family and oh. friends of the performers so that you hear some engagement during the show too. Like they're like, sing it. 
and, uh, you know, and uh, Teresa Stanley, the woman who sang that piece, she's a, a Broadway actress and has been in Rock of Ages on Broadway and in the tour and in Color Purple on Broadway and other shows. Her voice is just truly beautiful. So that's a, a highlight of the show. Yeah. All all the soloists in this production. I know. I love the one that plays like Jesus's mother. Oh, I just love yes. that that song. That's the older lady. Yeah, the going yes. to Jerusalem song. I forget what it's called, but yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she's so, yeah. Just amazing. I just it makes me so furious that this show is not more famous or as famous as JCS because I the music <laughs> to me it touches me in a different way and I, the feminine energy of it and the idea I love the messaging in it that the political power play that happens yeah in this production that you don't really see in JCS JCS is you know about Judas and and that tension with Jesus whereas this production like you get for me I got a sense of like the historical context of you know what it meant for who Jesus was and yeah yeah really I think powerful. it takes a little different take on it more of um like you say, it's more of a, he's more of a political problem, which I think in a lot of cases is historically fairly accurate in the, um, Jesus Christ superstar. I think it's more sort of shown as maybe a personality issue. Like he got maybe too big for himself. Like his ego got too big. That's sort of what Judas thinks. And that's why he sells him down the river, I think. But you know, it's different. We don't know. (laughs) There's very little historical documents about Jesus. So it's, it's a fascinating, endlessly fascinating story with many different takes on it. Any chances this cost would uh, go into the recording studio? Oh, that's a fun idea to make an album. I, as, as one audience that. member, I am I'm requesting such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. We have a wonderful um, gentleman here in town who has a professional recording studio that we work with quite a bit, um, EJ Porter. He's also a, a drummer and sometimes in our bands, but but he we have done some some soundtrack recording with him. This summer we did a project with one of our Younger artist who's been in a lot of shows with us. He's more of a mid-career artist, but he has written a, a wonderful a musical called Real Life, and we put it on on our stage a couple times as a work in progress. And then um, this summer, we invested in making a recorded album for him of the music, so that with some professional singers that came in, did kind of a smaller group of singers, but so he'd have a like a teaching tool because he tours it a lot. So when he goes out and gets different artists in it, they can listen to how the songs are supposed to go. That's really cool. Yeah. I I love your arms too, too short to box with God. Okay. Because from what I've seen, it's available. Like the original is available on LP, but no one has. Yeah, there's an LP, but there, and there's some video of it online, but I think like from student, maybe college shows or something, but, Mm -hmm. but not a lot. I found one from California. Uh, I forget the name of the church, but a church did it as like their 15th anniversary. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was filmed by A&E, but I, I can't find, I haven't found the full video yet. I'm- well, the problem with it, you know, it's, it's really traditionally how African-Americans were treated in the industry, you know, you see, because um, Bennett Carroll, I think was nervous about sharing her work and up public way she wanted to make sure the rights didn't get taken away from her and if you um alex bradford kind of lost the rights to that there was a lawsuit over that um 
because he'd signed his rights over to the production company, which was himself and a couple other people, but he passed away. Uh, I think even before it was on Broadway or right after it opened on Broadway, but because he passed away, he lost his rights. They weren't transferable upon his death. So then, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that in the industry that, that was really unfair to African-American artists who didn't maybe know how to navigate some of that then, Mm. or maybe they were purposely, I don't know, you know, or like you said, with Kevs, you know, he's the artistic side, but not necessarily the business side. And, right. And a lot of artistic people are like that, not just African-Americans. But, um, you know, you look at the recording industry and there's just story after story of uh, African-American artists who didn't really get the rights to their music or the proper payouts to their music and things mm-hmm. like that. So I think all that's gotten a lot better and People are treated much more professionally now. But because of that history, Vinette Carroll was very held that piece very close to her and just trusted a few people with it. And they never published the music. There's a small publication of some of the songs. It's more like a almost a piano and voice piece, you know, that you can get yeah. on, but it's not all the songs. So you can hear the Broadway album. So so our musicians listened a lot to the Broadway album, so they would have the same feel as the original show. I I would really, I'd love to see it published and more widely performed. Yeah. Mickey Grant is still alive. She mm-hmm. was one of the uh, composers and, and also. Well, they did. Don't, um, don't bother me. I can't cope at city center. Yes. Two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do that at our, did you like it? I didn't I get to seen. see it, unfortunately. I've, oh, okay. I've seen lots of clips. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something we should look into doing at our theater. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Vinette Carroll is such, was such an extraordinary person. And it's, she was, it's a shame yeah. she's no longer with us. And Nate actually ever spoke with her, her? Uh, later in life. She moved to Florida and started a company, a theater company in Miami. And uh, she and Nate talked a couple times, when, but then she passed away. So. Did I read correctly uh, the director of Your Arms Too Short to God? Who directed Your Arms Too Short to God, Box with God? Um, uh, Harry, oh, Bryce. Harry Bryce. Harry yeah. Bryce. Yeah. He had worked with Finette? Yes, I think he had. Yes, he he. so he had that relationship too. So that helped a lot with the production because he knew uh, mm-hmm. what her vision was and all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we had our choreographer, well, um, Donald Fryson worked on the show too. He's the gentleman that plays Judas in it. So he's a wonderful choreographer. He and Harry worked together on that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I really hope it it's, is released again because more people deserve to see, your cast and your crew and everyone deserves their work to be seen. It's, it really oh, is an extraordinary you. piece of work. Thank you. That's wonderful. Of well, course. if we release it again, we'll still have the lady standing up. <laughs> I I am here for it. (laughs) So I have a series of quick questions. Yeah. Uh, You don't need to think about it too much, uh, whatever comes to mind, and there are no wrong answers. Okay. Okay. So do you have a favorite musical? Um, You know what? I loved The Color Purple, our production of The Color Purple. It was just so moving and, you know, tears at the end and, and we had this wonderful actress that played Seely, who is one of our founding troop members and now lives in Edinburgh. 
think, or London. Maybe she lives in London, but she's she was gone over to Europe and she's writes some of her own shows about Nina Simone and others and tours them around Europe. And she's been in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for many years with her great Nina Simone show. So to have her come back and do that, it meant a lot to all of us. And she was yeah. just perfect for the role. So That score is so beautiful. Oh, it is. Yeah. I also love anything Ashman and Mencken, you know, Howard Ashman and Helen Mencken. So we did a uh, little shop of horrors too. And I absolutely love that. <laughs> <laughs> I ran around the house singing somewhere that's green for weeks after that. <laughs> as, as you should. <laughs> yeah. Luckily it was just in my house. So no one had to hear me. <laughs> If you watch other filmed live musicals, do you have a favorite filmed live musical? Oh, well, the Hamilton piece was amazing. We were lucky to see that on Broadway and then to see it from the same theater because it was at the Richard Rogers Theater that they filmed it too. Mm -hmm. To see it again and to be able to see it up close, like we were in the balcony when we were there to see it and to just, it was just fabulous. That was so, so wonderful. But um, I also love the Met HD programs. So I'm a big opera fan. I love singing in general. So maybe that's part of what brings me joy being part of this troupe. But um, I do love the human voice. And uh, do you have a favorite Met opera piece? Well, yeah, I'm a big opera fan, and I always tell people there's operas that have great music, and there's operas that have great stories, and there's a very few operas that have both. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm introducing someone to opera, I recommend La Traviata or La Boheme. Uh, but, you know, Andrea Chenier is a beautiful piece. Uh, the Samson and Delilah by Saint-Saëns has both great story and great sound. So, you know, there's there's a lot. But if, if you're sticking a toe in, I wouldn't start with Wagner. Yeah. <laughs> Although I love that now. But yeah. <laughs> the Met Opera is so incredible. They were a trailblazer in filming digitally and, and releasing their content. And their productions worldwide. are amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe that's even better to watch at home because I know I like to go sometimes and watch them at the movie theaters. And sometimes if you're not in the best movie theater, you hear – like Star Wars next door with the guns firing off and all during. So you, visually it's, it's transfixing, but the sound quality is not as great as being there live, you know, mm. be live at the Met, that's the ultimate, but, um, but yeah, but the HDs are beautifully produced. Yeah. If filming theater, it's not exactly live theater and it's not exactly a film. What should we call it? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's still theater. I think it's still theater. Yeah. Why do you it's, say that? Um, because really you're just being the eyes for somebody on stage because it, it really is a theatrical production. You don't have quite the same feeling as being there yourself, but, um, but it's not a film. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of special things that happen with films, with editing and everything that you just can't do with this. Yeah. Where do you stand on bootlegs? Oh, I don't like that. No, I think everybody should be paid fairly. You know, I'm on the business side and, and I get it. I think the artists need to be paid and um, the licensors need to be paid for their original creative works. And so I'm strongly opposed to that. And we try and follow all the rules. <laughs> There's a lot of them. And I try and follow them. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of rules, but for good reason. Yeah. What do you wish had been filmed? 
Oh, wow. Of our repertoire or in general? Both. Oh, let's see. Well, I wish we could have filmed. Well, we did film the color purple, but I wish we could put that out. But maybe we can. I'll have to think about that. And Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll look look into some of that. Maybe we'd look a little deeper in our archive and see if we can get some permissions to, to mm. do that. So I guess that would be my top choice. Yes. Abs- yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Denise Graves once in uh, Carmen and at the Dallas Opera. She was wonderful early in her career. And she was Carmen. That would have been nice to see on film. I'm sure they didn't film it. <laughs> Probably but not. maybe she did it at the Met. I'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Carmen. That was the first opera I ever saw. Yeah, that's a good one to recommend to people just yeah. starting to see opera. It's beautiful music and a great story. <laughs> yeah. I remember the production I saw was in Sydney had real horses. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. It was very special, special memory. And finally, what would you like to see filmed in the future? Oh, well, let's see. Um, what are we doing in the future? Um, well, I'd love to see Nate's piece, his world premiere, Ruby. We're Ruby. definitely planning to film that. We'll have permission um, for from him, of course, to do that. And I think it, Is it, it a play or a musical? It's a, a play with music. So it will have music in it, but it is a story with quite a lot of lines and all. And it's, it's really about um, a topic that's very important now, whites and blacks in one town and how they lived together and, and didn't live together and the clashes that come from all that and what happens when somebody who's subjected to maybe a lower place in society stands up for their rights and um, how the town deals with that and also it's a it's a tragic story but it's it's a, a good story with interesting lessons in it and that will be next season when you're able to read yeah we were going to do it this january but we're we don't want to open it in the covid time we really want to have a, a large audience for it and have people really enjoy the experience of being there for live theater so i think it'll be next year yeah okay fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> where can we find west coast black theater troop well, you can find it at our website, westcoastblacktheater.org, or you can come down to Sarasota and uh, see us in Sarasota, Florida. Right now, the website's a good location for all the filmed things. Yeah, yeah, plenty of content to keep you yeah. occupied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Julie. It's been so wonderful to chat with you today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Special treat for me. Thank you for having me. Filmed Live Musicals is a labor of love, and we'd like to thank everyone who makes it possible. Thank you to our patrons Josh Brandon, Mercedes Esteban, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Al Monaco, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for your support. If you'd like to support Filmed Live Musicals, please like and review on your podcast app. Find us on Twitter at Musicals on Screen and on Facebook at Filmed Live Musicals. If you'd like to support the site financially, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen. No matter what level you're able to pledge, you'll receive early access to written content and early access to this very podcast. Visit www.filmedlivemusicals.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. 